You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Justin Wolford, PhD. He's the co-founder of the Max Love Project. The website is maxloveproject.org. So, Justin, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Rich. Yeah, I've been looking forward to talking with you guys. Can you tell me about uh, the premise of Max Love Project? What's the, uh, the foundation about? Yeah, so we started way back in uh, late 2011 after our son, uh, Max, who was four years old at the time, was diagnosed with um, a rare and aggressive brain tumor. Um, it just hit us out of the blue. He had to be rushed into emergency surgery. He had uh, severe hydrocephalus from uh, the tumor, um, and our lives were flipped upside down. We were in the hospital for a month after the surgery, he couldn't talk or walk, um, move the left side of his body. So there was this, this, this big recovery period. And then as soon as we left the hospital, we immediately had to go into chemotherapy because the uh, original debulking surgery was only a partial resection. And so uh, we, were, we were in for the long haul and there was no uh, clear plan um, because it was an unclassifiable glioma. So they just called it a mixed grade glioma. So they were kind of piecing together a, a treatment plan. Uh, radiation would have been indicated except he was so young. And so they wanted to wait as long as possible. So we just, uh, right from the hospital, uh, entered into outpatient chemotherapy and uh, he was still recovering and we were, uh, we were at a place where we were kind of shifting in between utter despair and pulling ourselves together and saying, what can we do to improve his quality of life right now, but also his long-term outcomes? And so uh, at the time I was teaching at uh, UCLA, uh, I had just got a, a PhD in geography. And so I had access to the medical library and had some amount of information literacy. And so I started to reach out to doctors and researchers, um, and we were lucky that at the Children's Hospital we were at, we also had some allies there that we could start to reach out to and find out what we could do as parents outside of treatment to help our son uh, improve his quality of life and improve his outcomes as much as possible. Um, oh, man. And 
so we had an appreciation for the fact that there were a lot of things we didn't know. So we wanted to take him in and let the experts do what they do. But at the end of the day, we, we, we had to take him home and feed him and put him to sleep and, uh, you know, arrange his day. So how could we do this in a way that would improve his outcomes? So we started to find out different things that we could do. Uh, when, when we met other parents in uh, outpatient infusion, we started to see that other parents had the same concerns that we did, but they didn't necessarily have the same, have the same resources or connections that we did. And so Maxa Project yeah. really grew out of that. We, we wanted to give other families these resources, these uh, skills, the education to make sure their kids thrive as much as possible. So what were some of the things that you discovered early on that were helpful and how helpful were they? Yeah. Right. So we kind of stumbled into it at the beginning. Uh, when we got home from the hospital, Max couldn't sleep. Uh, if, if you or your listeners know anything about uh, trying to spend the night in a hospital, you know that it is that everything is going against having healthy, high quality sleep. And, um, mm-hmm. and so when he got home and his start quiet room, he was afraid he couldn't sleep. So Audra, my wife, went out and got a, uh, it's a Cloud B Twilight Turtle or the plush dolls with, with a hard plastic cover that projects stars onto the ceiling. And it's, it's supposed to be the soothing sleep aid and Max immediately fell asleep and they were fantastic for a bunch of different reasons. So we wrote to the company and we asked if we could purchase some to ha- uh, at uh, wholesale cost to hand out at, at our local hospital. And the next thing we knew, our entire garage was full of these Twilight Turtles that the company donated to us. And so we started oh, wow. to raise money to send these turtles out to hospitals across the country. So sleep was the first thing. And when uh, that started to happen, I dove into the literature on sleep and the immune system and sleep and recovery and brain health. And, and so then we, we, so we really got into sleep. My wife used to be um, a professional cook way back when she was in college or b- before she went to college when she was young. Um, and so the next thing we did was we started holding cooking classes, really going off of a very basic template of if we can just cook whole foods at home, it's gonna be better than fast food or the food that you get in the hospital, which is still really terrible. Though. Right, horrible, yes. Yeah, so, so, so sleep and food were the first things, and then we started to branch out from there. Um, we, fa- we found that acupuncture really improved Max's pain and his fatigue and his nausea, and so we were able to um, uh, subsidize acupuncture in the hospital. Our children's hospital has um, an acupuncturist who's philanthropically funded. Um, and then we got into holding exercise classes. Uh, so a- after after that, we then built out a bigger plan as we started to collaborate further with, do- with other doctors and researchers to build what we have today, which is called the B Super Action Plan. Super stands for uh, all of the actions that parents and families can engage in at home, outside of the hospital, to improve quality of life. And we can talk about that a little bit later if you want yeah what, what are um well if you can what's what's like a basic outline of the plan what does the acronym mean what is yeah sure so uh the acronym uh b is for boost yourself with super soft and so we start there with families and it really comes out of uh, educational research of uh, carolyn dweck and the growth mindset and 
that we as families need to approach our child's healing uh, and their survivorship, understanding that we have a lot within our control. There's a lot that is out side of our control, but we need to bring really a growth mindset, which, which is that we, there's a lot that we can do through practice, through skill building uh, to improve our kids' outcomes. Next thing is E for eat super fierce foods. And so this is the nutrition component, which we can talk about later. Uh, S is for sleep super peacefully. And so this focuses on healthy sleep habits, building robust circadian rhythms. Um, uh, U is for unleash your super strength, and this is exercise, physical activity, building it into our daily lives. T is for practice super mindfulness, and so this is this is really geared more towards the parents, but some of the older kids as well. Uh, finding um, easy stress management techniques that we can build into the day, and then for parents, building a mindful um, meditation practice. Uh, and then let's see, we have the second E is for engage your super community. And this is the power of peer support, social relationships, social support. And finally, R for refresh your super surroundings, which uh, is not my wheelhouse, uh, but we have people who help uh, guide parents in finding good non-toxic products for the home, easy, simple steps that we can take to, um, to make our home a healthier environment. So um, if you rank the impact of the things you did, you know, I know you didn't know exactly what would be the most impactful first. Is there an order in which people should enact these things in the acronym or is it, you know, how do you, how do you tackle such a thing? Do you do yeah, it? How do we, talk, well, front, like, we definitely start with, with B. Yeah. So we definitely start with boost yourself with super thoughts. And uh, so we, we, we start by talking about building a growth mindset Um and there's a bunch of different components to this, taking small steps, setting smart goals, you know, specific, measurable, achievable goals, um, really helping families identify their own health goals, because not every family has the same health goals. Uh, so we so we start with the mindset. Um, and then everything else, we, we, we have a, a whole we have a host of different programs. So we have a culinary medicine program that is now in three different hospitals, uh, Chalk uh, Children's Hospital of Orange County, Willett Children's Hospital of Savannah, and the University of Arizona Cancer Center. Uh, and so these culinary medicine programs, we do cooking classes, hands-on cooking classes, we do demo cooking classes. We have, we right now are building out of the second phase of a curriculum, uh, a brand new curriculum. Um, and so we have these cooking classes. We also have what we call Thrive Days, which are days we have uh, physical therapists and uh, trainers come in and help uh, do fun exercises with the kids. We have different uh, exercise-based or physical activity-based classes. So we have a bunch of different programs um, that focus on, on each one of these. Uh, but last year, we piloted a program at Chalk Hospital where we tried to incorporate every single aspect into one 12-week program. Uh, the results we are writing up right now, uh, it was a pilot study, so the primary outcome was feasibility and, and adherence, but the secondary outcomes were really encouraging. And, and, and so we're going to continue to work on this for different childhood cancer populations. Um, but the goal of this program is to really tackle all of the B super actions within a 12 week uh, program. But generally, you, we have um, to start with B. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, start with the what. Oh, no. I, yeah, I just said generally we start with B, right? We start with boost yourself with super thoughts and then everything else flows after that. Well, you know, I, I haven't been in your situation, but I've, you know, I've dealt with cancer myself and stuff like that in my family. Mm-hmm. And I, I know personally the mental side of it seems to be the most difficult. You know, it's, it's kind of hard to uh, not have your head yeah. filled with doom constantly. What do you Absolutely. do or what, how do you advise people to be able to at least like think with a clear head or have any motivation to do anything and not just feel doomed? Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a great question. And that is what we had as our main motivation. I think when we started Maxwell Projects was we need to do this for ourselves. We need to feel empowered. And, um, you know, we don't have uh, a lot of experience with the adult cancer journey, but with the childhood cancer journey, it's very disempowering for parents because you have your oncology team essentially saying, here's this complex disease that your child has now. Uh, We are going to try to make it as basic as possible for you. And you just come in and we're going to do the rest. Just bring your child in. We're going to hook them up and uh, we'll just tell you what to do. And so for parents, this is very disempowering. We come home, we have nothing to do except to worry. And so Maxim Project really grew out of that for, for us in a very organic way of, well, we're not just going to come home and sit and, as you said, have a doom mindset and, um, you know, with nothing to do. What are the things that we actually can do? What are the things that we can uh, use to empower us uh, to have the best possible outcomes? We don't know what those outcomes are, but we want to make sure that we give ourselves the best odds possible. And so everything we focus on really is to channel the anxiety, channel all of the worry and the energy that parents have into a positive direction. And so if instead of sitting around and uh, ruminating on all of the possible doom scenarios, I'm going to now instead start to cook right? Because cooking in uh, our fierce foods way, uh, you know, takes a lot more work than just going to the fast food. So now you have something to pour all of that energy into. Um, One thing, though, that we've focused on, I think, uh, out of all the Be Super actions that we have not focused on enough in the past and that we have in the last year is the mindfulness component. And so we're working with various practitioners in the Orange County area, at UC Irvine and Chalk Hospital as well to really build a uh, mindful meditation practice for parents that is going to lead them from step one all the way through building a daily 10 minute. Um, Yeah, so in the past, we, uh, although mindfulness has been a part of our Be Super Action Plan, we haven't paid enough attention to it. Uh, so in the last year, we've really tried to build out that part of the program. And so we've, we are w- working with uh, researchers at UC Irvine, uh, psychologists at, Ch- at uh, Chalk Hospital, uh, to really build out a mindfulness program for parents that is going to help them start at square one, which is very difficult, where uh, you know, parents come, come in with a lot of anxiety, with uh, high levels of anxiety and depression. And so we want to take them from step one all the way to building a daily 10-minute meditation practice. We aren't there yet, mm-hmm. but we are building this, this out. And so that, I think, is going to be a, a, um, a very important part of, of uh, uh, m- making the rest of the B-Super actions more effective 
Definitely, yeah. How, how did you uh, how did you guys change as things went along? What was your mindset? Mm. You know, at various stages, and what is it now? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one one thing that we found uh, is that our child will not make any changes that we have not already made for ourselves in our own lives. And this is something that we've taken in to uh, the, the super plan and all of our programs is that parents need to take care of themselves before they take care of their kids. And so if you're going to try to make a dietary change for your kid, you better have that dietary change locked down for yourself way ahead of time. Um, and the same thing with exercise or sleep or any of these other behaviors, parents need to go first. So it has absolutely changed our lives. There's no question both my wife and I are way healthier today than we were back in 2011. Um, and and uh, it's all every step of the way there, there have been massive changes, whether it's with our diet, our exercise routine, uh, mindfulness, uh, our attention to peer support, social support. Um, so one, one big change for us was that in 2013, our uh, Max had a relapse. And so we went on uh, a ketogenic diet. We started a ketogenic diet a, uh, a month before we did it with him. And we, and we wanted to make sure that both my wife and I, we could do the diet. We understood it. We were fully in ketosis. We could handle the whole thing, and then we would start him on the diet. And so um, every step of the way, whatever he did, we would be a month or two ahead of him, and it has absolutely changed our life for the better. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, what what effect did the uh, ketogenic diet have, by the way? What did it um, do for you and for Max as well? Um, well, for Max, I'll, I'll, I'll say it was uh, – it was quite an amazing result. We had a uh, recurrence in several of the tumor sites um, near his brain stem in 2013. And so they wanted to do radiation, but they still wanted to hold off for as long as possible because the longer you can hold off, the better the long-term cognitive outcomes from radiation. And so we, uh, I, I had been researching the ketogenic diet for a bunch of families who were in NASA Project going through our cooking classes and they were curious about it. So I'd started to research it and we were incorporating aspects of, of, of it into our cooking classes. And so in the summer of 2013, I uh, approached our oncology team and I said, uh, we're going to put Max on a ketogenic diet. We would like their support, but if we don't have it, you know, too bad, we're still going to do it. Uh, they came right. back. I, I had printed out every study I could find at the time. Um, hmm. and, uh, and gave it to them. They came back a couple of weeks later and they said that they're fully on board. And so we had a supportive oncology team. Uh, we started Max on September 1st on the diet. He had to have several surgeries related to hydrocephalus. Finally, so he was in full ketosis throughout that, that spring, winter, or, I'm sorry, the hmm. fall, winter, and then he had 30 rounds of uh, conventional radiation in April of 2014. He was in full ketosis at the time. Uh, the response to that was beyond what either the radiation oncologist or our uh, regular oncologist uh, thought was possible. The uh, 
all of the tumor sites responded beautifully, and we kept him uh, on the ketogenic uh, diet. We had testing his blood twice a day um, through, uh, the, through the next winter, and then we finally let off after we just had great scans after great scans. Um, and, and so then, uh, we had him on a, on a somewhat, uh, it, it, it was a low carb, not, uh, not a, not a strict ketogenic diet, um, starting, I guess, in that spring. And then sure enough, in the summer, we get a scan, um, that the tumor sites were recurring again. So he had been off the ketogenic diet for maybe three or four months. Um, and so we knew what to do. We hit the ketogenic diet hard again, um, or a ketogenic diet hard again. We don't believe that there's one. So, um, and, uh, and then we had gamma knife radiation in that fall, which is a more focused form of um, radiation. He was in full ketosis for that. He responded once again beautifully. We had him in ketosis for another year and a half, um, and his scans... Uh, look as good. So his last scans were four or five months ago. They look as good as they ever have. Uh, he's doing great. He's in sixth grade. He's wow. working at grade level, which for brain tumor sure. uh, survivors who've gone through chemotherapy and cranial radiation, their outcomes are usually really poor and he is doing fantastic. So, um, so we have a MRI next week and we'll see where we're at, but he has uh, we ha haven't had him on a strict ketogenic diet in uh, really, I think, since last summer. So we're, we're crossing our fingers and we're going to see what happens. Yeah. What, um, oh, I'm glad you have, he's doing well. What, what do you do with families where, uh, you know, unfortunately the, uh, the child eventually succumbs and passes? I mean, what does the program take yeah. them? Yeah. I mean, through the whole Absolutely. way. And what do you so, do in that case? Right, right. Um, so we started a bereavement group, and this is this is a very, very tricky problem. There is there are no resources for these families, and no one really knows what to do. And we don't necessarily have the answers either. Or we don't. Oh, not we absolutely don't have the answers. One thing that we feel has to be a part of the journey is parents coming together. And so we believe that for, for us and really for every, every parent that goes through this, one part of healing from the trauma is to give back, is to find ways to connect with those who are new to the trauma and to give back. And so we're mm -hmm. building a bereavement group of parents who can help each other right now but the long-term goal is that they're going to uh, really learn because we have a um, we have a former oncology nurse leading the group, um, and we want to bring in some other resources as well. But we want the group to turn into a sort of uh, eventually a training ground for these moms to help new moms who have lost kids or new families. Unfortunately, uh, we found that we don't get a, as much interaction with the dads as we would like so so much of what we do is focused around moms um, but the idea is that we want these families to uh, heal together and of course there's no full healing but at least to, to, to learn how to function in um, 
in a way that will one day allow them to give back and help new families because we're going to have, unfortunately, we're just going to keep having new families um, who lose kids and we need to find a way to incorporate them and to, um, to give them ways to turn this uh, absolutely traumatic and tragic event into something that can help others. Do you, do you find that the families will have um, additional children even after this happens or will this usually stop families uh, from having any other any children? I, I can't say there's a pattern. I, I, you know, that's a good question. I, I, when I think of the families in our bereavement group, they uh, are all different. Some, some have had okay. uh, children after they've lost their child and some have not. So I don't see a pattern yet. And, I'm, okay. and I don't think there is any literature on that. I'm, I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty in tune with uh, all new childhood cancer uh, family studies that come out. I don't mm. think there's any literature on that. Okay. So uh, where can, uh, can people get help and get research? Does it matter where they are in the U.S. or can they be worldwide? Oh, yeah. So we, we, have, um, we have families, one of the major services that we have is a, is a secret online support group. So parents can come into the online support group. Um, it's on, it is a Facebook group, but it is a secret group. No one can see it from the outside. No one can see that you belong to it or any posts on the group. You can enter into the group by first going to our website, signing up, um, and then we will get parents into the group. We have parents from all across the world, from the UK, Australia, Canada, Spain, Portugal, um, really as long as they're comfortable speaking English. So that's, that's the right. only um, requirement. Um, and, and so, uh, yes, parents can go to maxloveproject.org and uh, we have a family resources page where they can sign up. We also have a, a bunch of other educational resources on there. We have our Fierce Foods Guides. We, um, we have a Be Super Kids Guide. We have a Ketogenic Diet for Cancer Guide. Um, and that's just where all of our resources can be found. We can also be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. So we encourage families to connect. And, and how soon after... Um... A diagnosis should families connect you know should they wait a little bit and try to get yeah their we, uh, grounding or, actually, or immediately like get help i've actually done uh this is part of my uh, second dissertation so i got a phd in geography i just graduated with another phd in public health and i did it, my dissertation in public health on uh families of childhood cancer survivors and how they seek help online what i found was that families vary quite widely on when they're ready to seek help and use help mm. online. And, and so some families right off the bat, you know, just they get the diagnosis and within a couple of days, they're online looking to connect, looking for other parents. There are other parents who it might take six months or a year until they're ready to kind of accept this new diagnosis and what it what it's done to their lives, and then they start to reach out uh, to connect with other parents. And then there are some parents who it's not until treatment is done that they feel like, all right, now I'm in the journey of survivorship and I want to start to reach out. So it really varies. So parents should reach out when they feel ready to. 
Okay, that's what I wanted to know, yeah. All right. Well, very good. So people can look at uh, maxloveproject.org, and that's the, the start of the journey to find more resources about this. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Justin, I, you know, I appreciate you coming. Uh, it's amazing work that you're doing, and it's, Oh, thank you. you, know, you it's, I, it sounds like one of the toughest things ever to deal with. So, uh, you know, I appreciate what you do. It it uh, it is tough. I will say, if there are any childhood cancer families, parents listening to this, I will say that the uh, childhood cancer journey for for us and for so many of our parents has been one of the most rewarding and uh, just amazing positive experiences in our lives. And uh, it, it sounds strange. And of course, if, if we could, we would take the diagnosis away and we would never have this happen to our kid. But if, if you're able to reach out and start connecting with other childhood cancer families, you will find the most amazing relationships. And then also you will find the strength and the energy to start to make these health changes that are going to improve your kids' outcomes that are also going to make you healthier um, and happier as well. So um, my, my last parting piece of advice would be to embrace the journey and reach out and connect with other families. That's great. Justin, well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks, Rich. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.